Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. This week in Arsenal, the Gunners are defeated by Burnley 2.0, Jorginho arrives and makes his debut, Spurs do Arsenal a massive favor, and it goes from bad to worse for Manchester City. How's it hanging, everybody? Uh, welcome to episode three of This Week in Arsenal. I'm Sham, who you can now find at Shamsdale on, on Twitter. I've changed the handle. And, of course, with me is Sash, whom you can find on Twitter at LT Arsenal Sash. How you doing, man? A lot better than Saturday for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what a yeah, what 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 a weekend, dude. It it was um it was, it was definitely it was definitely a lot of a roller coaster, you know, where Saturday I think we kind of hit a season low in terms of the vibe and in terms of the attitude and then we were yep. we were right back up yesterday. Yep. Yep. I mean, Yesterday was amazing, the evening. I watched the first half and had to go out for the dinner for the second half, so I ended up missing that. But I was on my phone throughout, and then <laughs> Romero got sent off in the 87th minute, and I was like, oh my god, Tottenham are going to throw it away from here. But then I was scrolling through Twitter, and everyone was praising Emerson Royale, and then once it became like 90 minutes, I could enjoy my dinner in peace, knowing fully well that we're still five points ahead. Uh, with the game in hand so so relieved so so relieved and yeah I, i'm sh i'm really excited for this podcast as well because we're going to relive all of that yep yep i um i i let i let spurs take up too much of my sunday because i was <laughs> sunday's normally the the chores day for my partner and i and so she went and cleaned like 80% of the apartment during the match and i had the job of just <laughs> cleaning our bedroom but she would she would pop her head in every every like 10 15 minutes and i would just be sitting there on the bed watching spurs play on our laptop <laughs> and at one Legend. point she was like i thought you yeah and she was like at one point she was like i thought you hated this team and i was like i do but i need them to win <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah we'll 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 get into all of that but first um let's talk about the match that we played on saturday and um we traveled to Goodison Park to take on Everton, and I guess right from the get-go, there was a little bit of apprehension supporting uh, surrounding the match, right? You know, yeah. Goodison has, in recent years, been a bit of a bogey ground for us. Obviously, we, we had um, we had the negative result there last year, the, the infamous Eddie and Kenya missed header, and then this season, you know, there's... There's also just been a little bit of of worry about that, and then on top of that, you know, they went and sacked Frank Lampard at perhaps the worst time of the season for us. I think actually we're the only Premier League team that did not get to play Everton while they had Lampard as manager this season, which which oh, is shit. very annoying. <laughs> and um, 
So, you know, already there's that new manager bounce. But on top of that, the new manager was Sean Dyche. And we don't, Arteta in particular doesn't have a terrific record against him. I think he's now, I think it's one win in five, maybe one win in six after Saturday. It's mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not the best. But yeah, so we went in already worried and then... Everton played perhaps their best match. I mean, not perhaps, definitely their best match of the season. They beat us 1-0, and you know we had to spend the rest of the weekend freaking out about whether or not City were going to you know, chip away more than half of our cushion in one weekend. So, yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll talk about that. But how did you feel going into the match just to start with? Well, I actually put out a tweet saying that it's not going to be an easy game. And I know it, I just know Goodison Park, especially when the crowd is up for it, when a new manager comes in, especially someone like Sean Dyche, who you know how his teams play. They're really going to get into the tackles. They're really going to come at you off the ball. And um, any tackle is cheered. And that, that's the issue, you know, because right from the first few minutes, there was, there was some nice exchanges between our players. But after a couple of crunching tackles coming from Onana, the crowd is up. And suddenly Everton start to believe. And as soon as I saw that team that Deitch put, I was really skeptical about how we we're going to play because he basically had the perfect system and perfect personnel to nullify how Arsenal play. You know, putting three really athletic midfielders uh, to block the channels. I was I was really worried about this. Also, you have to consider that our team, like seven to eight players out of the eleven, they've played all the games so far. And I think at some point, maybe we needed to rotate a bit, maybe. So they've just been playing every week. And then Everton put out this really athletic team, manager bounce, Goodison Park, all of these things combining. You also have to remember that Arsenal haven't lost a game since September. You know, it's been, I think, well over five months since we lost a game. So there's been a lot of these things when you look at it in aggregate. I was a bit nervous before the game. And unfortunately... Uh, I was proved right that it was a tough match and we didn't get anything from the game, but we dust ourselves and move on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's, I agree that Dice came into a pretty ready made setup for him already. Mm-hmm. That, that appointment might be one of the, one of the more shrewd things, one of the few shrewd things that Everton's done in recent memory. You know, he had he already had two players that he's very familiar with, having worked with them at Burnley, right? He had James Tarkowski, he had Dwight McNeil, and then on top of that, like you said, he had that immensely athletic midfield three in Onana, Docore, Gay. Yeah, he had um he had um Dominic Calvert Lewin playing up top, and he's you know that really good mixture of physicality with you know enough technical ability to not be completely useless. Once yep. the once the physical game you know switches or you know if it's not a physical game anymore, and and yeah it was just you know he had Pickford of course who very very able keeper can keep you out of trouble for the most part yeah so it was it was just um a very very good setup for him to walk into and then you know you you take that combined with I you know I think they very purposefully destroyed the pitch before the match that that impacted <laughs> how we played. And, you know, the just the way he likes to set up his teams against us. And that's that's why I want to dig into a little bit more because, you know, there's that clip that's been going around of Daesh talking about protecting the V, 
right? And how yeah. how he likes to set up his blocks against possession based sides. So yeah. did you did you see that with um with I was about to call them Burnley just like Arteta did. Did you see that with Everton? <laughs> Where you know they they were kind of in they were protecting that V shaped area in the penalty box and then kind of like another box in front of the penalty area and they're they're for the most part letting us have possession in wide areas but doing their best to get into or doing their best to prevent us from getting into the central areas. I mean, did did you see any of that? And um, what else did you spot in terms of how Everton defended against us? I think it was we had one of the meanest mid block stroke deep block stroke high press against us all in one game. Yeah. Um, Everton were really narrow the way they defended. It I think the game plan was quite simple. It was to cut off the passing lane uh, to Xhaka and Odegaard, and um, they were happy to give Martinelli and even Saka time out wide. But by the time the ball reached the wide areas, they were really quick to double up. And we, ha- we resorted to basically hitting hopeful crosses into the box, which again plays into their strength because they have really good uh, box defenders, as I like to call them. Defenders who are smart at dealing with these balls into the box. That's what their strength is. What they don't like is players like running behind them. But Arsenal never really found themselves with so much space where they could maybe exploit the lack of athleticism in Everton's back four. Like Coleman, for example, was largely untested. Um, And maybe under Lampard, he would have been a player that got horribly exposed by Martinelli. But the way Deitch set up, it was incredible, to be honest. Uh, They pressed us really high. They wanted Partey to stop playing. Um, At the same time, they were screening Odegaard and Xhaka. So the ball was not reaching either of them. And when the ball did reach one of them, they were really quick to press them, close them down. And I think this upset the rhythm that Shaka and Odegaard typically have because both of them, especially Odegaard, kill you with, if they have space. Even a little bit of space, they'll make something happen. But there was very little space for them. And um, credit to Everton, to be honest, because they thoroughly deserved that win. Uh, I think they're one of the few sides to have nullified us to that extent, you know. And like you said, uh, you made this interesting point about their front players having decent enough technical quality to like cause you problems and that's exactly what they did they were a threat in transition so as soon as they won the ball back they would go out wide they would look to get calvert lewin as well into the game uh they have a really nice mix as well for the style they want to play with their front three i think Iwobi is someone that keeps the ball really well mclean really good at getting those balls into the box and calvert lewin of course their talisman and when you have guys like Dukure, Idrissa Gay, Onana, players like this who are athletic and can go up and down the pitch, you can see why they had so much success against us that day. And I know a lot of people, they're going to jump to conclusions saying, oh, teams have discovered the blueprint of how to beat Arsenal. But to be honest, there are very few teams that actually have that kind of players. You know, like how many teams in the league can you name that have a midfield as athletic as Onana? Gay and Dukure, there's very few. Maybe Newcastle comes somewhat close and maybe that's why they had a level of joy against us. But against most other teams, they're going to find gaps. So I think this was a very unique game. And like I mentioned before, there was a circumstance associated with it. 
which was that we're playing at Goodison Park, manager bounce, all of these things coming together. And yeah, I think all of these things culminated in a defeat, which can happen. But like I said, we move on from it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's a really good point on, you know, this this narrative maybe that, that could be being written that Everton has unlocked the 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 blueprint for how to defeat Arsenal and you know I think they they definitely showed a way it can be done but but like you like you said there there's for, first of all you know you need the right personnel to do it and then on top of that I think you need everything to go right for you on top of that right so mm-hmm. you know he had again he walked into the perfect setup to 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 do what he likes to do Deich did but you know those those players those highly athletic players with pace and with power and with enough technical ability to get you by you know DCL is kind of like Chris Wood but with style basically but yeah that midfield um, I think John McKenzie from Tifo Football talked about it really well in a video he did on on this on this match in which he was talking about how Onana and Wobi and Decore would would press, um, you know, Party and Zinchenko and members of our back four, but they would also leave what's called a cover shadow behind them, right? So in a way, yep. you're you're pressing the guy in the ball and you're preventing his passing options, but while you're doing that, you still have the person behind just behind you covered. So that, you know, if the play switches around, if they pass the ball to someone, you know, let's say uh, Party passes it to to White, then, you know, you can just shift a little bit and Odegaard's still there, right, in your cover shadow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also they, they triple teamed or, I mean, they, they double teamed on, on Saka really well. And then, you know, I, I Odegaard's underlapping runs, you know, they were they're okay, but I think the lack of overlapping from White was was a big problem for us and it allowed those double teams to just mm-hmm. consistently force Saka into other decisions. But yeah, and you know, there there are so many things that they had to do and get correct. And they had to do that over the course of 90 minutes. And then on top of that, you have to hope that the referee is going to let you kick Odegaard out of the match early. You have to hope that the referee is going to let you get away with shoving half your index finger into Saka's eye socket, you know. Uh, I think that's I think that's kind of an underrated part of this game plan in terms of its significance, right? Where you need the referee to let you play this physically and get away with these early fouls, the way that um, I believe David Coote was his name did for did for Burnley here. And you know, it's just it, it's just one of those things where it's going to work against us maybe two three times a season, and and that's fine. It's Again, this is the this is the English Premier League. This is the most competitive league in football. It's really difficult, as as we've shown, uh, to to go through a whole season undefeated. So, you know, credit to Everton. I think they played really well, but I'm not particularly worried about teams being able to adequately replicate that. And you know, even with Everton, you could sense that the the you know the energy was starting to fade a little bit right the momentum the momentum was starting to fade a little bit and then they got that goal I think it was in the 61st minute and that gave them kind of the boost to keep going and to keep maintaining this style of play but 
imagine if we'd gotten you know a random deflected shot goal in like the 23rd minute right now they have to come out and play a little bit and at that point we would have we would have torn them apart so Everton played really really well again but a lot of things have to go right for that game plan to work but speaking of things going right I think several things went wrong for us and and by that Mm -hmm. I mean there I, I think there's a couple players that we need to talk about in terms of their performance in this match and the first one I want to talk about is Gabriel Martinelli and you know, I don't want to overblow this too much because I don't think Martinelli's been atrocious or anything since since the World Cup, but I think there has been a slight dip in form, and I think that combined with Gabriel Jesus being injured for as long as he's been has really impacted Martinelli's output. But um, do you do you think there's do you have any concerns about how things are going with Martinelli right now, um, and do you think? that's down to to him to how he's playing or is that just down to how Arteta likes to set up the team or you know other external factors like Jesus not being there yeah so I think it's basically a combination of these things there are moments he can do better like that sometimes I felt his passing was loose like simple passes in the first half especially in the first like 20 minutes of the match where he was a bit loose with some of his passing so that is something that maybe he can refine further, of course. But I think typically this was a game where whenever he picked the ball, there were two players on him. The guy he normally combines with, Xhaka, was being marked really well. And like you mentioned, Zinchenko as well was being marshaled so well. So whenever he picked the ball, it was always 1v2 in situations like this, which is not always ideal. And obviously his form hasn't been particularly great since uh, the World Cup break. Uh, And I think this, like you mentioned, is partly also down to Gabriel Jesus not being there because Jesus is a player that makes space for a lot of his teammates. I think one of the things that Martinelli does miss is the rotations that he had with Jesus where he would come inside and Jesus would come outside. Now, there was a moment in the second half uh, where Martinelli drifted into the half space. He got past a couple of players and played a really nice ball to Saka and we made like a half chance from that. I actually felt like, I know that I felt like Trossard should come on based on how Martinelli played the first half. However, I thought Martinelli actually was growing into the game a bit more in the second half. He was playing a lot better. His rhythm seemed to be coming back. So I was a bit surprised that Arteta chose Uh, to take him off actually in the 59th minute like I didn't personally get that substitution I felt he could have stayed on for a bit longer because he was growing into that match and you've seen that a games Gabriel Martinelli hasn't played amazingly well for example West Ham at home he didn't play so good but he got a goal Brighton away the same he ended up getting a goal so I feel like he's a player that can still like contribute in a big way even if he's not playing well by having like a moment of quality and like I just said I feel like he could have stayed on probably for an, for another 10 to 15 minutes and for me his form is no concern he's a young player uh, just got the contract which I'm very happy with by the way there will be some games he won't be incredible but he's still a top player and over 38 games he's very good for us more often than not and I personally back him 100% and what I'm not opposed to do is the idea of shuffling from time to time to rotate. Now, that's a different story. 
But in terms of should he be dropped or something like that, absolutely not. I think he's an integral part of the side. He's started all 20 games that we've played so far. He's been incredible. And a couple of games where he's not playing so good, I'm not so concerned. I think he'll get back to his best. I think Jesus will come back soon. And I think certain games like Manchester City at home, uh, remember what I said just now. I think City at home, he's going to be incredible in that kind of game. But it's a bit more transitional in nature. But he has a little bit more space to attack instead of playing against the deep block uh, like Everton where there was little space for him. So I think it's also about the type of game and he's 21. He's going to get better. So for me, it's absolutely no concern. Yeah, and I, I think a little bit of grace has to be given to Martinelli because he plays a very difficult and thankless role in the team where Arteta basically has him high and wide on the touchline, pinning back his opposing fullback so that Zinchenko can safely tuck into midfield and play the way we like him to. And often that, that means that Martinelli is kind of isolated out there on the left wing, right? Because, I, I, you know, again, without Jesus, uh, Jesus is not drifting out to the left and connecting with him as often. They're not swapping places, which gets Martinelli into those central positions sometimes. And I think also it's having an impact on Xhaka, right? We haven't really seen Xhaka getting into the penalty boxes often, getting into those goal-scoring situations like he was at the beginning of the season. So things things are, you know, just a little bit more difficult for him right now. But, you know, to Trossard, you know, didn't really come on and particularly change things in that role as well. And personally, I think Trossard is, and we'll, we'll get to this with the substitutions later, but I think Trossard is someone who kind of requires a little bit of a change in how that left flank operates when he's on the pitch. Mm -hmm. But, you know, speaking of how much we need Jesus, I think another thing that that his absence impacted us in is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. I think Enkedia has been terrific these, these last several matches that he's played in Jesus' stead. And, you know, he's done an incredible job of, you know, going some way to replicate what Jesus can do for us. And he still has us, you know, on slightly less than a hundred point pace now. But I think, uh, I think against Everton, we saw maybe one of the things that he hasn't been able to, to bring to, to, to replace that Jesus does. And that's the ability to involve himself in matches, right. And play a little bit of hero ball when it's required. I noticed that Enkedia got not marked out of the match per se, but as as soon as with, with with how effectively Everton were preventing those central balls and us playing up through the middle, like like we like we like to do, Enkedia sort of became a little bit of a non-factor for large parts of the match. You know, obviously he he mm-hmm. had a really good chance. I believe it was like the thirty-fourth minute. It was it was at some point the midway through the first half where Saka played him in really nicely after getting his shirt almost torn off him by Mikolenko. But <laughs> and Kenya gets played in, misses what's what's a pretty decent chance, all things considered. And then in in the the sixtieth minute, just before Everton score their goal, you know, and Kenya has this really nice run in from from the left side, plays in Odegaard. I think the ball is just slightly behind Odegaard, which is hope you know, not an excuse, but a bit of an explanation for why 
Odegaard basically skies the ball out of the stadium. But aside from that, it felt like Enkedia was kind of limited to just making runs in behind the defense, right? And he didn't... For, for me personally, I don't think he dropped back enough to combine and to force the defense to kind of adapt to him the way that I think Jesus would have. If Jesus is playing this game, I think he's dropping back into midfield. He's picking up the ball. He's turning. He's going at defenders. He's forcing them to move out of their zones, out of position a little bit, opening up that space for Saka and Martinelli and maybe making something happen. And I think Enkedia can do that, but because of the way the game was going, I think Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast had a great point where he basically said that because the game got very difficult, sometimes in those situations, players revert back to what they know. And for Enkedia, what he knows is making those runs in behind the defense, trying to make himself available, but not necessarily trying to get on the ball as aggressively as Gabriel Jesus would have. So mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on that, on, on Enkedia's performance? I I don't think there's anyone to replace him in the lineup with, but is that is that something that Enkedia needs to to improve on, or is just is this just one of those situations where Everton were just too good on the day? Now the thing is you also like we have to understand what Eddie can do and what he cannot do. I think the dropping deep part, perhaps, yes, he could get on the ball a bit more sometimes, especially in a game like this where the middle of the pitch is congested. But he does not have the 1v1 ability of Jesus where he can get the ball, get past two, three players. You know, he's not that type of player. You saw what Jesus did against Bournemouth, for example. Didn't get the goal, didn't get the assist. But the opening goal that Odegaard scored was all made by Jesus where he picks up the ball, deep in midfield, dribbles past a couple of players, plays a lovely pass to Martinelli who shoots and then ricochets to Odegaard who makes it 1-0. And even the Wolves' goal is somewhat similar where Jesus drifts out wide, Martinelli goes into the middle, Fabio Vieira makes a really nice run from midfield, Jesus picks him out, Jesus is not even in the box even though he's a centre forward, but a run has been made by Odegaard, Vieira picks him up and Arsenal take the lead which is again, it was quite a similar game in some ways. Maybe Wolves were not as big a threat as Everton were in that game. But it was still a very cagey game. Wolves were so deep and we hardly created anything in the first half. We just needed a bit of uh, unpredictability, if I might put it that way, from the centre forward to make something happen. Now, Eddie is not that type of player. Uh, he can, Maybe he can improve a bit more with his back to goal, which I think is already pretty decent. Uh, but I think it's more about the type of player he is. I don't think he can offer you that. Interestingly enough, though, like I feel like an alternative option is to maybe play Trossard down the middle if you want a bit more like in terms of getting on the ball and taking on a couple of players because I've seen him doing that for Brighton a few times. Obviously not to the level of Jesus, but still a pretty decent level. But I think Eddie is Eddie, you know, like I think he, he has his utility, definitely he has his uses. And as you saw against United, when we needed someone in the box to finish the chances, he was there. Um, so I'm not going to make this about like Eddie improving or something like that. But what I will say is Jesus, such a unique player, such an incredible signing by Arsenal. You really realize the worth of him when he's injured. Don't get me wrong, we played well in these last few games for the most part. But I think in games like this, Jesus, unbelievable player. 
he might only have five or six goals in the Premier League, but what he gives us other than that is out of this world. And even in terms of his pressing, the way he presses the centre-back, Arsenal are able to play higher because of Jesus, because he's the guy who leads the press. And as a result, the whole unit goes with him. And this is not a criticism of Eddie again. It's more a compliment to the type of player that Jesus is. Very few centre-forwards can do that, drop that deep and go past two, three players like they're not there. So I can't wait for him to come back personally. Like I think if he can come back by early March to a good level of fitness, I'll be really confident going into most games. And yeah, for now, we manage without him. And I think for the most part, we're managing well. And I think Eddie should just continue the way he is. And I'm sure that we'll pick up a few decent results in the coming games as well. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think I think Nketi has been doing really well, but this this just kind of highlights the 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 sheer unicornness of Jesus as a player and in terms of what he's what he's able to bring to to our side. And it just makes me think about how during the World Cup you had Brazil fans slandering him and begging for Pedro to come on and play and um <laughs> Yeah, just just Jesus is a vastly superior player. Anyway, there's one more player who I want to talk about, and this is this is maybe the one who I'm the most concerned about at present, and that's Ben White. I think Ben White, for the first half of the season, has been Mr. Reliable, has easily been one of the best right backs in the Premier League, but I think I think he's been in a bit of a funk recently and maybe this has something to do with um with what happened in the world cup squad with with him leaving early and going home i'm not going to speculate about about reasons why we've you know i think we've all heard rumors at this point but clearly it's something that's that's been affecting him and against everton you know he again he didn't make those overlapping runs which opened up the space for Saka, made his job a little bit easier. And he had some pretty bad giveaways, including that one in the 34th minute that allowed Onana to run down his flank and cross in, you know, I think it was like a 0.87 XG chance for Calvert-Lewin that fortunately he missed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just... I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder about whether about whether White might just need to be given a few games off, right? And I think we have a perfectly adequate, if not equal, backup in Takahiro Tomiyasu. And, you know, he's, I think, at this point, pretty fully recovered over that, over those injuries that ailed him last season, beginning of this season. He's looked pretty sharp the last few times he's come on in in um, in replacement of Ben White. So how do you feel about White's place in the team and, and whether... You know, maybe he should be given a few matches off, um, or do you think he's just someone who needs to kind of play his way out of form? Um, I actually think the sample size is really small, to be honest. I thought Ben White had a really good game against West Ham, uh, the first game after the World Cup break, and after that, I thought he had a really good game against Brighton as well. Uh, I thought he was really solid in that match, and once he went off, in fact, Brighton found a lot of joy down uh, our right flank, which is the left-hand side. 
after this we draw nil nil to newcastle i think he was pretty good in that game as well i think it's only the united game the first half those 45 minutes where he was not so good uh he got booked and arteta took him off because he wanted like white to avoid the second yellow obviously especially with the form rashford was in playing down that side so i can understand like why arteta took him off that day and look he didn't have a great game i think most players don't have great games sometimes it can happen and it happened against everton as well but to be honest i don't think he was like the worst player on the pitch i thought we had some pretty poor performances um uh, i think even sinchenko did not have the greatest of game against everton especially the last 20 minutes where he's normally really composed but he gave the ball away on occasion so I felt like maybe the Everton away match is not the greatest game to judge a player on and apart from that you only have 45 minutes against United where Ben White was not so good so I think it's too early to say he's out of form you can say that maybe uh, he didn't play so good in the last game and a half but I think that's still a really small sample size to drop a player who's been really good otherwise for 20 games he started all the 20 league games he's won 16 of them he's been an integral part of a defense in back four that has a really good away record as well in terms of the goals conceded clean sheets and stuff like that so i personally wouldn't read too much into it but on your point about playing tommy asuda i think that's something to consider but not from a point of view of dropping ben white but more from a point of view of let's rotate a bit you know because we're going to need our squad at some point of the season Tommy Asu has played a few games at left back in the league but not so much apart from that. Uh same as Vieira for example, he's also played very few games in the league. So if there are injuries for example to Xhaka or Odegaard and you need someone like Vieira to come in, um you obviously like need to ensure that he has the continuity in terms of the game time. So from that point of view in a similar way, maybe you play Tommy Asu instead of Ben White for a few games for a run of games. and you see uh what happens like how tamias is playing how the team is playing i'm totally open to something like that i don't think it's going to change too much i do think ben white is still a really good player for us in build up and sometimes he is prone to giving the ball away carelessly but he also does a lot of good things on the other hand and i think from a purely build up point of view he's more expansive with his pass selection than tamias is but i'm totally okay with tommy playing for a few games and white being rested uh, i'm totally fine with that but not from the point of view of drop ben white he's not been good or something like that yeah i it's it, it it's tough because he looks sharp physically to me and it's also just one of those things where you know you can't expect someone to to play magnificently for 38 games in the league. But yeah, it is it is it is a small sample size and I think it's just one of those things where compared to the other two compared to Martinelli, compared to to Enkedia. I mean, Enkedia I'm not even remotely worried about, but I think with White it's just one of those things where I haven't been able to explain to myself why maybe he's looked off the last couple couple games and maybe it just kind of boils down to you know just not in the best form right now and it's fine he'll be over it but yeah i i would be surprised if tomiyasu doesn't get plenty of game time in the europa league and at least that's what i hope happens but yeah it's 
it will we'll, we'll see with white i think arteta definitely hasn't lost faith in him and is pretty far from losing faith in him so you know against brentford i think he's right back in the lineup and you know we'll we'll see how he does there so speaking of moving players in and out of of the lineup of the starting 11 i do think arteta had some very interesting substitutions in the match so he made four right and in the 59th minute he put in Jorginho for party and then he put in trassard for martinelli and then in the 77th minute he put in Vieira for for odegaard and then the 85th minute he put in tomiyasu for white so what what did you make of of these substitutions from from Arteta? Do you think that maybe the first two were a little bit early? Do you think maybe they were the wrong substitutions to make to impact the match? Uh, give me your give me your thoughts on whether Arteta made the right choices with these substitutions. Yeah. So the thing is, I personally felt making one substitution early on. There's no harm in doing that. And I know it's nice to say in hindsight, but Everton had quite a few corners itself in the first half. I'm not sure about the exact number, probably six corners in the first half, five or six. Um, and they were threatening from those set pieces. And as you know, Sean Dyche, he loves scoring a set piece goal. I think his Burnley side had, I think, the highest percentage of goals scored from set pieces back when they were in the league. So we had to be wary of that. You know, they have big players as well who are capable of getting uh, the heads on one of those crosses. So we have to be careful. And I think in hindsight, taking off Thomas Partey and Gabriel Martinelli, two players who are good in the air, and replacing both of them with Jorginho and Trossard, two players who are not so good in the air, in hindsight, perhaps it was not the greatest move. You can maybe shift one out and get away with it. But removing Partey and Martinelli, I think you lose a lot in the air from a defensive point of view. Um, in set pieces so I believe that it should have been just one of them and the other substitutions I think uh, like Tommy Asu for Ben White had to happen I think Ben White was not having a good game so it was logical that Tommy Asu came on but the substitution that I liked a lot was Fabio Vieira for Martin Odegaard I personally would have brought on Vieira for Xhaka just to have that additional number 10 playing you know you also have to consider that Odegaard he didn't play the full uh, game against City he came on off the bench with I think with like 15 minutes to go but Shaka played the full game so I think from a fitness point of view and also from a tactical point of view I think it made more sense to take uh, Granit Xhaka off and replace him with Vieira but I thought Fabio Vieira was a really big positive the way he controlled the ball he really was good he seemed to be on the same wavelength as his teammates he wasn't giving the ball away he was looking to progress the ball there was a lot of intent in his play and I really liked this because this was in stark contrast to, I remember Southampton away when it was 1-1. We were chasing that match and uh, Fabio Vera came and he looked completely off the pace. But I think he's really starting to adapt now and I think we have a top, top player on our hands. I think he's a serious player, you know. He's not shown much of it in the league yet. But I think the moment he gets the chances, he's going to show the world what a top talent he is. And it was really good to see him play uh, the way he did. But yeah, to sum up, I think the substitutions, uh, making two so early was a bit naive, I think. Uh, especially two, short, like two physically less athletic players in terms of their height and whatnot. Because Everton obviously had a lot of those players. 
I think Tomiyasu and Vieira substitutions, they were spot on. Uh, and like I said, maybe Vieira could have come on even a bit um, earlier than he did. Um, so yeah, I'm quite interested to know what you think about it. Do you see it the same way as well? Or what would you have done differently? Yeah, the the party for or the Jorginho for party substitution it's I'll, I'll put it like this if it's if it's not because of fitness concerns for party maybe he didn't uh, maybe he wasn't able to train much um, over the preceding week or maybe it was kind of a pre-planned substitution just to you know exercise caution and and keep him fit and make sure that he is ready to go for Brentford. The night, I kind of wonder about it, because I don't think Jorginho was bad. By the way, I think I think he was totally fine. You know, he came on, he had eighty percent passing. I think he gave away possession six times, which is not great, but you know, generally he was pretty tidy on the ball, looked quite press resistant. So I was you know fine with that in terms of a debut. I just think he got thrown in at a pretty bad time. So, yeah, I think I think party is probably just more of a maintenance kind of thing just to make sure he's okay. But the Trussard substitution kind of bugged me because you know, they're 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 very different players, Trussard and Martinelli, and Trussard likes to operate in that half space. He's not really a touchline winger. So to put in Trussard and basically do it as a straight swap and not really change the system around him was perplexing to say the least. And, you know, the, the other, the other two substitutions, I agree, Vieira and Tomiyasu, I think they came in and replaced the right people. I think, you know, I probably would have substituted Tomiyasu on a little bit earlier, but that's whatever. Vieira, I think came on at about the right time. And I think I like his substitution because if you're losing the physical game, I think Vieira is a good player to come on and maybe just turn it into a technical game. But I Trossard makes me wonder why Tierney wasn't substituted on because I think this was very much a move that would have made Tierney a good decision, right? Where you put him on... This might sound crazy, but I think I actually would have put on Trossard as the left eight and Tierney as a left wing. And then just had, or I guess technically a left wing. I mean, it's, you know, I'm Zinchenko would still technically be the left back in this situation, but I think Zinchenko at this point would be operating almost full-time in the center of midfield, and then the whole of the left flank would be for Tyranny to bomb up and down. That's that's why I mean when I say Tyranny is a left wing. But I would have put on Tyranny as left wing, Trossard as the left eight, and... I just would have seen if may if maybe you know you can inject that energy into the game because I think another problem that we had was just sometimes we're a little static, and this struck me as less of a game for for unlocking the the opposing defense through passing and more of unlocking them through just carrying the ball, running at them, making them make decisions. So you know to, to have tyranny bombing up and down the left wing and then Trossard occupying that half space and occupying, you know, the left side of the penalty area, you know, I think that might have been interesting in terms of opening up the left side of the pitch and as also as well, you know, freeing up Saka and Vieira at this point to to also, you know, try to wreak havoc on the defense and open things up and maybe combine with Nketiah as well. 
and create chances for him. And then you would have had a box of Zinchenko and Jorginho and then behind them Saliba and Gabriel just to, you know, control the ball, progress out from the back. And then, you know, Tomiyasu or White could have overlapped as well on the right. And you could have had basically six lanes of attack to to really put that pressure on Burnley. But yeah, that's that that's kind of what, what I would have done. And um, just to to sub on Trossard as a straight sub for Martinelli, I think was just kind of curious, and I'm not I'm not really sure it worked particularly. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's 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 why I think. Would are there are there any substitutions that you would have made if you were in Arteta's shoes? Um, I actually think we don't have like phenomenal options off the bench to change it. Uh, what I would have done definitely, like I said, was brought on Vieira for Shaka, and I think the point you make about Tierney coming on is very interesting because like you said he's like this overlapping type of player and I think he would have suited Trossard more than having Zinchenko as more of an inverted fullback what's interesting though about Zinchenko is that even he can overlap so I was a bit surprised when Trossard came on that he did not have that overlap and I think that was something that was missing throughout like you mentioned even Ben White whilst he was on the pitch was not exactly overlapping so I'm sure Arteta is going to like forensically ana- analyze this game and look to change it up a bit against Brentford uh, in case they try to set up the same way as Everton did. 100%. Yeah, I think... And I think this is a good this is a good sub, uh, segue for us to talk about maybe the more fun part of the weekend because originally, you know, again, we were all kind of down in the dumps about this, this result. And, you know, I think a lot of fans who might not have been with us when we were last competing for titles, you know, don't really have that experience to fall back on and kind of were losing their composure a little bit in terms of worrying about if City were just going to turn the Jets on and overtake us now that we are stumbling. But now we get to, you know, now it's no harm, no foul. Now we get to just go back into Colney today and the rest of the week and just sit down calmly go over this match figure out what we did wrong and learn from it because yesterday city traveled to the toilet bowl where they took on (laughs) spurs and they lost one nil courtesy of harry kane's record-breaking goal to make him spurs's uh best ever or a top goal scorer of all time surpassing jimmy greaves and you know, I just gotta say, he's one of our own, Harry Kane. He is <laughs> he is one of our own. Uh, he did that like a true gooner. So good for him. But but yeah, it's um, did I I guess my first question is, do City look off to you? Because I think it's a couple matches now where they, they it just looks like something's wrong, and they look like kind of a shadow of themselves. So did you spot anything in particular? that I guess made, made you think that City are kind of more there for the taking than they have been in previous years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's been an energy at City that's lacking. Like, I don't know if it's motivation or I don't know if it's the fact that they lost players like Sterling and, and Jesus and Zinchenko who were integral parts of the squad uh, that won previous titles. It could also be, like we discussed on the last podcast, that they lost quite a few leaders like Vincent Company, Fernandinho, and also 
like the fact that they've won the last i think four out of five premier league titles and they want to win the champions league so i think all of these things coming together and th- that you're seeing that those kind of performance on the pitch where city are not playing like the city that we know and I, they don't strike me as a team that's going to go on this run of uh, 14 or 15 games in a row and take the title away like i personally don't see it they have a player with 25 league goals in erling haaland who the whole team is trying to adapt to uh, i think there are moments that city are used to playing more with this false nine type player uh, or maybe even someone like aguero or jesus plays with low center of gravity who drop deep were happy to drop deep and link up the play uh, or even someone like bernardo silva who was playing false nine the odd time with city and they would they would, they just played as like a unit you know and Haaland has come in and he seems to have like not completely acclimatized to the way City play and I know that sounds stupid of me to say considering he has 25 league goals but from the overall play point of view I feel like City are trying to adapt to him right now and not the other way around and all of these factors put together is why City are playing the way they are and I'm not complaining personally I'm quite happy with that <laughs> I just don't see them going on this run of uh, 14 or 15 games. I just cannot see it. I see them doing reasonably well. I can see them getting to about maybe 85 points or something on those lines, but I just don't see them going beyond that. I don't know why. I just cannot see it. You know, I think that's a really interesting point about Holland, and I think it is kind of poetic, right? Because on the other end of the pitch from them was a team that you know for the most part it's it's been one man scoring all their all their all their goals for them right as evidenced by Harry Kane hitting 267 and look what they've won right so you you have to <laughs> you have to wonder do city you know have have city really thought about this in terms of going from being a team that spreads the goals out pretty nicely across the the midfield and the forwards to being a team that just relies on one guy to score all the goals because you know we were seeing it with Spurs year in year out we've i we've kind of even been in the situation the season where Robin Van Persie scored 31 goals for us wasn't mm-hmm. really a successful one so you know just historically speaking having one player scoring all your goals is first of all it's difficult to maintain and second it just you know it it doesn't really lead to success uh historically speaking. So, yeah, it was um it was really interesting to see that and I think it's going to be a really useful result for us and a pretty soul-crushing result for them, excuse me, because now it means, you know, the pressure's off for us going into this weekend. Now, you know, we're still 5 points in the lead with a game in hand. We still have Brentford coming to us on Saturday and we can just get back to business. and you know again not feel like we've blown it over the course of this week and have to really sit in that for 7 days and on the opposite end of that you know i think city looked kind of toothless in that game and you know they're they're going to know that and they're going to i think there's going to be a little bit of doubt creeping in right where like we talked about on our last episode where what if they've played now they've played 21 games now so they have 17 games 
to let's say beat us to 90 points right even if we pay on even if we play on a 40 point pace for the second half of the season right that leaves us at 90 points and for them to hit 90 points they have to get 45 out of their next 17 which if i'm doing the math correctly means they can only drop six more points between now and then of the season so wow <laughs> yeah so the margin for error is getting super tight for them and and yeah it just you know that 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 can't be good for them and then on top of that which you know i think is uh well this is the last thing we'll talk about before we uh, take a break and then do listener questions but on top of that you know this big charge has just been leveled at them by the premier league or should i say big charges right because we have over a hundred charges of manchester city violating premier league financial rules right including them refusing to cooperate or uh, them trying to hamper investigations them trying to get around uh reporting uh, reporting their their funds and their their profit margins for seasons um there, there of course were um the charges of Roberto Mancini getting paid under the table by another club in Abu Dhabi. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to go through all of the charges, you know, bit by bit, but this is, this is a big deal. And Martin Ziegler, as, as you know, Martin Ziegler, the guy who's been reporting on this has said that even half, if even half of these charges turn out to be true, then there's a real possibility that Manchester city are relegated from the league which i just think is you know th- this is this is monumental and just i want to get your thoughts on you know what this what this could mean for us not not just in the long term but in in the immediate future right because i don't think these charges are going to i don't think this is going to lead to any punishment right now this season right i think the best you can hope for is next season and i think even that is a pretty accelerated timeline based on how quickly the Premier League's operated. So, so how do you see this affecting the the rest of this season? And then, how do you see this affecting you know more of the long term for for Manchester City and I guess the the landscape of the top of the Premier League table? Yeah, so I think it's quite interesting because the Premier League has first of all been working on this for four whole years. So they've really put together all the facts, done their research on it, and they've charged City over hundred charges. So that's a lot for starters. And Manchester City, you know, they'll always be really adamant that they didn't do anything. They'll come out with these statements that, oh, the other clubs are targeting us and stuff like that. But a club that keeps getting charged to this extent, I feel like there's no smoke without fire. And to be honest, I think at City, there's definitely a lot of suspicion of things that they didn't do. And I think most of us, you don't, you don't need to be an auditor to understand what's wrong at City, you know, especially with some of their uh, sponsorship companies, which seem to be Fugazi companies, basically. And uh, you can't really, in FFP, you can't really spend uh, what you don't make. And Manchester City, obviously, they've been accused of uh, inflating their earnings a lot and these under-the-table payments that we're hearing of now. So there's a lot of evidence that the Premier League has obviously worked on and they've presented the case. And I don't see this ending well for Man City. Now, 
whether it's this season or the next season remains to be seen like you said i don't think anything is happening uh, this season because city are obviously going to have their own lawyers come out and try to like put this fire out but unfortunately what we've learned is that uh, city they cannot go to the cas which they previously went to to appeal the charge that uefa had placed on them so right now city don't really have that much like wriggle room in terms of escaping and i think they will be punished it's i think a matter of when and not if or how so i think they will be punished and in some ways i think this is going to affect them because if i'm a player who city are targeting for example in the transfer window in the summer do i want to go into a club which is pretty uncertain in terms of where they're going to be are they going to be relegated are they going to have a points deduction these things remain up in the air but i think the premier league has already taken a really strong stance on this and if found guilty i don't think they're letting city away with a small punishment because city have been like found guilty of doing this over 9 years and then plus another 5 years of not providing information so i think it's not looking good for city and even the dressing room right now if i'm a player they're not playing so well we don't have the momentum and on top of all of this we're having these charges so i don't think it helps anyone i don't think it helps pep who's previously said that he would leave manchester city if uh, he found out like the people that run the club lied to him and obviously they've assured him that they've not done anything wrong so if it does come out that they've done something wrong it'll be interesting to see how pep reacts so i think it there's a lot of uncertainty for manchester city in the short and long term i think it's really good for football to be honest because you can't let clubs get away with this they've essentially cheated their way if found guilty they've essentially cheated their way to multiple premier league titles and a team that has cheated the rules for a decade and gotten away with it obviously they deserve to be punished and like come on like a lot of our fans itself are like ah city are showing so much ambition and stuff like that but you want to follow the rules and arsenal you can make fun of us we've always been an institution that followed the rules that complied the rules complied with the rules and and yeah i think it's really good for football if city get punished then i wouldn't be surprised if the regulators like give a really bad punishment like relegation or something to really make the point that you cannot do such a thing going forward you know it's about everyone having a fair chance to compete it's very ironic that they like wanted to leave the super league uh because like they they speak about a uh, fair play and every team having like a fair chance to win but what they've done in the last 10 years it does not sh- that's not showcase that so yeah i really hope they get punished and justice is served like it's gone on long enough and i was so happy today hearing um the news in the morning and i hope they get the punishment i feel bad for some of their fans obviously because their fans are not the ones at fault here but you need to ensure that everyone is on an equal footing and what has to be done has to be done yeah i can agree more i'm i i think um i i i think the last several years have made me a bit of a cynic so i'm not i'm not highly optimistic in terms of what the punishment will be but i do agree in the sense that if the premier league decide to do something and you know it is it is an encouraging start to 
to publicly level 100 charges at Manchester City in a situation where they won't be able to to appeal or to really do anything about the final ruling. You know, that's that that's a good start for me. That that signals intent and if there is a significant punishment, right? Like like points like a, a large number of points being docked or even relegation, I think that sends a message to City and to Newcastle and to Chelsea. And you know, I think abroad as well to teams like PSG and you know, you have allegedly nation states sniffing around the likes of Liverpool and Manchester United who are also up for sale now. I think it sends a message to all of these teams that you can't come into the Premier League and just expect to have your way and and lie as much as it takes so that you can just funnel the GDP of a small nation into into your squad. Because I think at the end of the day that is it's it's totally against the spirit of what this game is meant to be, right? All all the teams in this league have money now because of, you know, these extremely lucrative TV deals that that the that the league's involved in. But you know, there's still this ideal in the Premier League that even the small teams can can overcome the big ones, right? That there's there's this level of parity across all 20 teams in the Premier League. And so, you know, I mean, this weekend, I think, is a great example of it where you had small clubs like like Everton and Spurs beating Arsenal and City. Right. That's (laughs) that's that's really important for the parity of the league, he said with a straight face. And um, but yeah, I mean, jokes aside, that is that is kind of the ideal that that football generally tries to aspire to. So, you know, to have to have City from the UAE to have Newcastle with Saudi money again to potentially have Liverpool or United owned by um, owned by the Qatari government for all intents and purposes those those things all spell you know a death knell for for equality and parity and you know a fighting chance across the league so i'm i for one am i would be pretty excited to see you know um, such a fate as relegation befall Manchester City. I think that'd be great. I would really enjoy the Schadenfreude of it, and and yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. And I think in the short term, this is just kind of one more thing, isn't it? Right? You know, when it rains, it pours for for Manchester City right now. So you have these players who are already kind of low in terms of in terms of their morale. They've you know lost they've lost against Everton. They're dropping points in pretty unusual situations they didn't look too great against us and you know Cancelo Cancelo left there are rumors of Bernardo Silva wanting to leave I think there are even rumors of Kevin De Bruyne starting to consider his future outside of the club and like you said Pep Guardiola came out and said a little while back that if he finds out City have lied to him about you know what they're doing behind the scenes about whether or not they've done anything illegal he's out the door as well so you know, I think you're going to have a bunch of major figures in this club who step on the pitch for them, you know, considering their future, wanting to go somewhere else. And by that same token, you probably have a bunch of players who are waiting for that bid or were waiting for that bid from Manchester City now kind of wondering, is is this the time to go there? Or maybe they're better off going somewhere else, right? Declan Rice, I'm looking at you. If Manchester City bid for you, don't don't do it. It's not going to be a fun time for you. But, 
but yeah, so I, I, you know, I think this, this might be one more nail in their coffin for, for this season in terms of whether or not they'll, they'll win the Premier League. And, and yeah, it's that, that can only be good for us. And hopefully the Premier League does something that can only be good for, for football in general. So we'll see what happens, but I think we'll leave it there for the first half of the pod. And after this break, we will be back with listener questions. So talk to you in a minute. All right, and we're back with part two, where Sash and I are going to once again go through listener questions and answer them. So, uh, Sash, do you want to do the first listener question? Yeah, of course. Um, so my first, the first listener question is from the Arsenal Therapy Podcast at Ars Therapy Pod on Twitter. They ask, do you think the boys have gassed out from playing such top tier football in the first half of the season? I think not really. I get your point because I think, like I said, I think seven to eight players of our starting 11 that played against Everton, they virtually played all the games so far in the league. And that's pretty unforeseen because that's not something that's happened at other clubs. I wouldn't say they're burnt out yet. I would not say that. But what I will say is that we certainly could do with a refresh in the odd game. Like a bit of rotation would definitely be good for a lot of the players. It's not about completely benching them, but I think it's about using your squad. For example, we could always start Fabio Vieira over Xhaka or Odegaard in the odd game. And I think we will be fine. Same as Tomiyasu for Ben White, Trossard for Martinelli, potentially Kivior for Gabriel as well. The thing is, I guess, there's no easy games in the Premier League right now. And I think Arteta as well, like, just wants to get the points on the board and he's not, like, using the squad. And if there's one criticism I have of Arteta, it's that he doesn't use the squad enough, what is available to him. And we even saw this a bit last season where we were just playing the same team and they were fit week in, week out. It comes with its merits because the players obviously know each other and their un- that understanding improves uh, with each and every game. But on the downside, suddenly you can't throw throw in a player who's not played for some 15-20 games properly. That's what happened to Lokonga last season. He didn't basically play a game from Jan to April and suddenly he comes into the team. So, yeah, I don't think we're burning out. But what I will say is we definitely need to rotate the team a bit more to make sure that everyone um, is, first of all, feeling part of the squad, but also uh, that they're ready to come in and play whenever they're called upon. So that rhythm is important. And I certainly think sometimes if you're playing the same level, maybe sometimes teams might figure you out a bit more, the basic idea of what you want to do. So it's always good to keep opponents guessing. But like I said, I don't think we're burning out. I'm interested to see if uh, you see it the same way as well. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of in the same boat. I think I think Arteta's quote a little while back about the players having to learn to play, you know, twice a week, maybe even three times a week. I think that's very instructive in terms of what he expects from the players and you know, I don't think we've really played that much football up until now. Obviously, we've played the 20 matches in the Premier League. We've gotten through the group stages of the Europa League. And, you know, I think we've made it a couple rounds 
in each of the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. It's not really that much football. I think we're gonna pay we're gonna play a lot more, you know, in the next in this coming half of the season. So, you know, it's it's kind of amounted for the most part to about a match a week. Obviously in in October, early November, it was kind of two matches a week. But you know, there's there's also kind of a month off for a lot of the players, month and a half off, a couple weeks maybe for some of them coming back from the World Cup. And so I'm not necessarily worried about them being overplayed, right? And to your point about Arteta not really using his squad, I do think that is something that he needs to get better at. I I think it does beg the question, or it, it did in the past, of whether or not he trusts some of the players he had his, uh, had at his disposal, right? I think that's not not really the case anymore. If you look at that bench, I think you see a bunch of guys, you know, Turner, Tomiyasu, Kivior, uh, Jorginho, Trussard. I think there's a bunch of guys on that bench, and soon, you know, Smith Rowe, and also there's Vieira. You know, I think there's a lot of guys there now who Arteta trusts and who Arteta is willing to put out there on the pitch to change a match or willing to put out there if someone in the starting 11 can't continue. But he also does like his starting 11. But what I expect to see in the second half of the season is in the Premier League matches, best possible lineup is starting no matter what, because, you know, again, we're going for the title. So, you know, I think it's just pedal to the metal and we're going to try to get as many points as we can, which means play the best players we can every single week in the league. But in the Europa League, I do expect to see very heavily rotated sides, right? I think we're going to see a lot of Turner. We're going to see a lot of Tomiyasu. We're going to see a lot of Jorginho, a lot of Trossard. I think Kivior even is going to start a number of matches, depending on the opposition we play. A lot of Tierney as well. Tierney's not a player I didn't mention earlier. And I think now we have a proper B team for all intents and purposes that can actually compete at a pretty high level, which is something that we haven't seen maybe since the back end of the Wenger era, right? So, yeah, I to, to answer the main question, I, I don't think they're gassed out. Um, I, I think maybe there's a bit of mental exhaustion, perhaps, going on with a couple of them, but that's something that can be managed, and for the most part, I think we've, we've done a pretty good pretty good job of keeping the players fresh and now we have to do an even better job for the second half of the season if we want to come away with it with a title i'll uh i'll do the next question which comes from aaron catterson reed at read the game reed spelled r-e-i-d and he said looking forward to it lads thanks aaron how do you guys think we should approach teams that sit in that four five one mid or low block against us for the rest of the season does tyranny need to come in I mean, yeah, we did we did talk about this a little bit earlier on in the pod in the sense that I, I think the first thing to note is that Everton and Sean Dyche together are probably going to play the best 4-5 mid-low block in the league for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. He has all the personnel he needs to do it. Um, pretty A pretty perfect set of players. And Dyche is just kind of the master at that. He literally gave his own master class on how how to protect the V and how to set up low blocks. So I don't think we can, I don't think you should expect that level every time, but obviously we are going to come across more low blocks for the rest of the season, especially considering that 
you know, the relegation battle is heating up and we have several of those sides to come in the in the next several weeks. So we are going to have to deal with them a lot more often. I I think personally it's just all about moving the ball a little bit quicker and switching better and just playing at a better tempo um, generally. I think we're kind of slow in terms of getting the ball across the pitch against Everton. I think um, we didn't switch to Martinelli often enough. You know, I think part of this, part of our game plan, which involves isolating him, is to open that space up a little bit, right, for him to get into, you know, the half space, either um, just outside the penalty area or even, you know, that half space kind of at the back post, right? I think Rohan, uh, at Rohan Jivan had a really excellent point uh, in the aftermath of the Everton mate game where he mentioned that we didn't play, you know, enough um, back post balls to Martinelli maybe to to kind of exploit that space in behind. So there's a bit of that going on. And, you know, also White wasn't overlapping. And, yeah, yeah. I, I and I think also just we kind of missed Jesus a little bit. So I think Enkedia kind of needs to, again, like get into the game a little bit more, demand the ball, try to turn his man like he, like he was really good at doing a few weeks ago. And, and generally just, you know, force defenses to to make a decision. I think Smith Rowe will be really good at that, or really good at helping with that when he's when he's back, which is hopefully soon. But yeah, I do think Tierney does need to come in if we're having trouble breaking them down, right? Because it just switches things up. It, it forces, you know, these 4-5-1 mid-low blocks to do something a little bit different. It can potentially turn five lanes of attack into six, or at least it puts a different guy in that lane five and then allows Martinelli to come interior a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I think we have options in terms of how we approach them. I think we just need to be a little bit more... Um, we need to execute plan A a little bit better than we did against Everton, and then I think we need to be a little bit... Um, a little bit more coherent about what the plan B is in terms of who we sub on, like Trossard and Tierney and Smith Rowe to to change the outcome of the match. But Sash, what do you think? Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with all of your points. Um, you were speaking about us passing it a bit slowly against Everton, maybe a little bit too slow, and they were allowed to like settle into their shape. And I know this is a really unpopular opinion, which is why I didn't tweet it out because I would get absolutely cooked for it. But I think Jorginho, one of the things he does is that he releases the ball really quickly. Like he might not always break the lines the way Partey does, but he's really quick at getting rid of the ball. He's a player that keeps the play ticking, you know. He basically sets the tempo of the match. And I think Arteta's substitution in the 59th minute wasn't to manage Thomas Partey. It was actually to try to utilize Jorginho's strengths. Obviously, it didn't work the way we wanted it to. But I think in future games that he's definitely an option. I think Fabio Vieira as well is a really good option in these type of games. You could play him and Odegaard instead of Xhaka. Now, I know that Xhaka offers something defensively and it's important in some ways to stop the transition. But I think Vieira is also really good. And the more he plays, he will get better. And I think in terms of receiving the ball in a congested space down the middle, I prefer Fabio Vieira receiving the ball and looking to turn over Xhaka, who has a lot of strengths, but I don't think playing in tight spaces, turning away from a press, that's not his biggest strength. And I'm a big Granit Xhaka fan, but I think in certain games, definitely Fabio Vieira is an option. 
I like the point about Tierney because Tierney obviously gives you that overlapping like ability. But I would still stick with Zinchenko personally in most of these games. I would only play Tierney if Trossard is on the pitch. And you made the point about Smithro as well, potentially giving us that dynamism. I actually think Smithro will be very interesting in these type of games as a right central midfielder, like where Odegaard is currently playing. You could perhaps play Odegaard left central midfield, play Smithro on the right and make him overlap with Saka because Smithro uh, is a right footer and it's more of a natural overlap uh, to Saka. So I think that will be interesting as well because that is slightly more difficult to mark because as we know, it's a pretty narrow system and having that overlapper always helps you because you need to exploit the space that is available to you, which is obviously uh, the wide area. So <clears throat> that is something quite interesting um, to see once Smithro is back. Of course, another option is to go a bit long sometimes, you know, like if they're coming at you, why not go over the top? You have guys like Eddie and Martinelli capable of making those runs. So I would have liked to have seen a few more long balls than we played and not hopeless long balls, but obviously with purpose looking to pick out one of the runners uh, because Everton don't have the most quickest central defenders. So I was a bit disappointed not to see more of those type of passes because we have players capable of playing them. And yeah, I think once Gabriel Jesus is back, you will see a lot of this improving because he's a player, like I said, he can pick the ball, he can receive deep, he can turn away from two, three players, cause that chaos to break the structure and help us get through it. But you know, at the, at the, at the underlying thing is what you said, not many teams play like this. It's very few teams that can play like this, that have the personal to play like this. So personally, I would just look to focus on our process for the next few games, see how that goes. I would not look to change much in the coming games apart from the odd rotation. I would just look to play the same way. And when we play Newcastle next, I think we would have Jesus back. We would have uh, Smithrow back. The same with Everton when we play them at home again. So I'll be interested to see what happens then because I think it'll be a very different game uh, then. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I will read out the last question, if that's fine, which is coming from Ovura Jr. You can find him on Twitter at Ovura J. He says, my actual question is, when is the right time uh, you think Gabriel Jesus would be fully fit and ready? Uh, I'm not a doctor, but based on some of my friends I speak to, they feel he could be back like by March, probably by the end of Feb, early March, he could be back to a pretty decent level. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully he's back. He's already, I think, running outside and he's slowly starting to get involved with the team and training. So I'll be very interested to see when he comes back. I think he might even come back earlier than March. But in terms of playing at a decent level of fitness and level, I think March is quite realistic. So we still have to get through a few more games uh, until then. But I think once he's back, he's going to give us what we need to propel us uh, to win the league. What do you think, Sham? Yeah, I mean, like like you said. Well, I mean, I, I I'm a jurist doctor, but I'm not sure that that counts. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I guess I guess what I'll say is there there was that there was a clip flying around on the 23rd of January, which is actually exactly two weeks ago, in which Jesus tells Khabib, the you know the former MMA star. He tells Khabib that he'll be back in four to five weeks, right? So I'm 
big assumption here. I'm assuming he's parroting what the medical staff have told him. And if that's the case, you know, four to five weeks, two weeks ago, two to three weeks from now, right? So I guess we're looking at end of February, beginning of March, but I personally think that's kind of optimistic given, you know, what we think the knee injury was. So yeah, I, I think I think the timeline that you said, Sash, is it makes the most sense to me. Again, not a medical doctor of any kind. So I <laughs> I, I couldn't really tell you for sure. But yeah, I I think we'll see him again soon enough. And I you know, I definitely think we'll get him back before we go play away at Manchester City. And I think we have to play Chelsea again for the end of the season. So we'll we'll get him back ahead of some pretty pivotal fixtures. And, and yeah, until then, I'm not, I'm not really worried about what Enkedia can do for us. So we'll see. Anyway, I think that'll do it for Sash and I for uh, episode three of This Week in Arsenal. Uh, thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, you guys are uh, all of all. Sorry, I'm stumbling through my words right now. Everyone listening to this, uh, you all are Habibis in my book. And uh, yeah, we love you for listening. So thanks so much, and we'll be back next week, same time, same same day. And be sure to share the podcast, tell your friends about it, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, all the works. And yeah, once again, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>